Welcome back. I'm Pierre Daly, Managing Editor at AdvisorAnalyst.com, and this is the Insight is Capital podcast. Today, we're thrilled to have a distinguished guest with us, Nicholas Picard. Nick is not just any strategist, he is the Chief Options Strategist at Hamilton ETFs, where he plays a pivotal role in overseeing their expanding array of income-focused covered call ETFs. With a rich tapestry of over 25 years in the industry, Nick has carved a niche for himself specializing in quantitative and options strategies. His expertise is further underscored by his tenure of over a decade as portfolio manager and options strategist with one of Canada's premier ETF providers. There he was the linchpin managing the day-to-day -day options activities of their covered call products. Beyond his professional achievements, Nick is also academically accomplished, holding a BA in mathematics from University of Waterloo and the esteemed Chartered Financial Analyst designation. Today, he joins us to delve into the intriguing world of monetizing volatility in both equity and bond markets. This is the Insight is Capital podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of AdvisorAnalyst.com or of our guests. This broadcast is meant to be for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed in this broadcast is intended to be considered as advice. Welcome, Nick. It's awesome to have you on. Yeah, thank you for having me and uh, glad to be back. I'm uh, really looking forward to catching up with you. Nick, before we get started, for those of us who may not be familiar with you and your work, Tell us about the arc of your career, how you got into the option space, and what's going on? What's new at Hamilton ETFs? Yeah, so a little bit about myself. Um, you know, I graduated uh, with a math degree uh, from Waterloo about 25 years ago. And, uh, you know, at the time, uh, this was, you know, in the late 90s, right at the time where drawers were really starting to pick up uh, as an asset class, becoming a lot more liquid. And there was a big demand for, for more quantitative skills. And that, that's kind of how I got my, my start in the business. I spent uh, the first, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years on the uh, sell side of the business, working uh, as a liability trader, trading structured products, trading options uh, with uh, various uh, Canadian banks. And then a little over 10 years ago, I made the move um, to being a portfolio manager and working on the buy side and, and helping, um, you know, asset managers use options to uh, use option strategies and in most cases generate extra yield for investors. Thanks for sharing that, Nick. I, I wanted to, uh, before we get into our conversation about um, volatility and monetizing volatility and covered calls, I'm curious to know with, with uh, the recent uh, flurry of bank earnings coming out of the money center banks in the U.S., um, how, how has the, the, the outlook in the lead up to that, because there was different expectations than what, what the actual results came out with. You guys are really big on the, you got a big focus on banks, uh, at, at Hamilton. What are your, what's your outlook there? What are your thoughts on, on the way forward for bank earnings? There was obviously much stronger interest, interest income and may, maybe, uh, you know, better than expected management on loan loss reserves. How do you guys see the, the path forward on the banks? And I, I'm asking you because banks are obviously a big deal for Canadian investors. There's, there's been a couple uh, big trends uh, on, uh, you know, on the financials, on the banks in, in particular. 
you know, on the one hand, you know, the, the rising interest rates mean that th this is good for, for the interest in net interest margins, uh, you know, that can help. On the other hand, um, there's also going to be more, uh, you know, in a weaker economy with, especially in Canada, with the real estate market, um, having more difficulty, that's going to lead to, uh, more loan loss reserves on that, on that front. So there's, there's a bit of pluses and minuses. I think on, uh, you know, the short term, I would expect more volatility. I think it's right. really going to depend on, uh, when rates kind of top out and become a little bit more normalized. We've seen a flattening yield curve, which, uh, you know, is not as good, uh, you know, for the banks. But on the other hand, if you look at a valuation perspective, uh, you know, the banks are very inexpensive, uh, trading at P right. ratios that we haven't seen in, in many, many years. So if you're looking at a more longer term view, um, I think it's, uh, it's a very compelling, uh, entry point for the Canadian banks. On the other hand, I would expect more volatility. You know, usually when we look at, uh, you know, fourth quarter earnings that will be coming in the next, uh, in Canada in the next uh, couple months, you know, that's usually when you try to <laughs> clean up everything and, and, and set the, right. the, the new year. So I think right now we got to look ahead of the new year and, and, and see how things evolve. But overall, you know, with this, these rising rates, the financials have gotten, uh, you know, punished a little bit. And so yeah. that creates, um, you know, potential buy opportunities. Uh, do you, would you say that relative to the U.S., Canadian banks would maybe experience a little more chop because of the the uh, shorter mortgage terms, for example, and and uh, you know different you know different lending standards? Yeah, I mean, I think I think tr traditionally, I think Canadian banks uh, have have performed uh, uh, better. Uh, you know, have had less volatility uh, th than in the U.S. Um, you know the the rules for for you know mortgages and whatnot are a little bit more favorable to the banks than in Canada than they would be south of the border, um, right? And and there's a lot of a lot of competition in the U.S. as well in terms of uh, how their banking sector is is uh, is is structured. Uh, whereas in Canada we have more you know big six banks and they're you know they have tools to um, you know, in increased profitability. Uh, they're very focused on cost cutting. And, uh, I, I think, I think we can still expect some volatility. We're seeing some volatility today, and this is good for, for what I do in terms of the cover. Right. Costs. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, overall, uh, you know, you look at some of these P ratios on some of these banks, you know, and they're, and they're going back to lows that we haven't seen in many, many years. Yeah, so they're they're quite attractive. They've got strong dividends, and you couple that with the uh, with the call writing, um, it, it makes for a very attractive scenario. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think I think that we haven't seen a scenario like that on uh, on the cover call side in in many many years. In a sense that we're we're seeing a, a bit of a bottom evaluation, and so hopefully a bit of a you know a bit of a support in terms of overall prices. On the other hand. There are some, you know, overheads that we're going to have to deal with, and that's going to be kind of a volatile process. And that kind of an environment is very conducive uh, for covered calls because, you know, we're we're giving away some of the upside, and hopefully, that's not 
too much of the upside given the environment that we're in, but we're also getting, right. uh, we're also getting a lot of uh, extra yield from the, the call options that we're selling because the, the volatility environment is higher than it's right. been historically. I was just in the, you know, I, whenever I go to the travel to the U.S., you know, I, I always notice, you know, the number of Canadian banks that have ownership of now have ownership of, of U.S. banks and the number of stadiums that have naming rights that are Canadian banks, you know, BMO, um, <laughs> TD, you know, you got, you got several BMO fields, you got TD, TD Garden in Boston, you got a bunch, you know, you, you see all these it's very proudly, you know, <laughs> it's, it must be, you know, it's a source of great pride, I think, when Canadians travel. But, but you know, does that diversification of Canadian banks, Canadian bank ownership of U.S. regionals and, and larger and some of the, maybe even pieces of some of the larger U.S. banks, does that, does that also improve the, uh, the general, um, you know, uh, outlook for, for the Canadian banking sector? Yeah, I mean, I think there's certainly like very, very good deals to be had uh, right now. Um, you know, the, the regional banks, as, as we know, with the crisis, um, really um, got uh, punished and, and, you know, some were forced to uh, go bankrupt, some of them were acquired. Um, but they're definitely, in terms of evaluation, they're, they're very cheap. The problem, of course, is that, you know, they, they need, they're going to need access to capital, or they're going to need, um, you know, to get through some of the rough spots. And right. Uh, you know, this is where the Canadian banks can take advantage of that. They they have, um, they're well capitalized. They have so they can have they have the opportunity to look at these, um, you know, and, and you know look at these regional banks and and um, you know and potentially uh, get a good deal. You look at uh, J.P. Morgan uh, when with their acquisition, um, they you know just on their earnings today they recognize a big gain because. They have all. They have the capital required. They can buy the, the assets um, at a, at a good level, and uh, take advantage of that. So I, I had to ask you about the banks because you know about the financial sector at least because during you know during the last month there has been a lot of chop in the market. There has been a rise in volatility, but in the midst of that, the financial sector did quite well. Uh, you know, in in uh, you know conversely. Uh, or sorry, contrary to that, of course, some of the, uh, you know, mega caps had a pretty rough month and the S and P 500 experienced a fair bit of volatility. H how are some of the recent de sharp declines and increase in volatility in equities in general, creating potential opportunities for, for you and for covered call option writers in general? So like I was alluding to earlier, uh, a higher volatility environment does help a cover call strategy. And why is that? Well, basically the price of the call option that we're selling increases in a higher volatility environment. And so the higher volatility that we're seeing in the market, the more of a premium we're gonna get for the call options that we sell. In addition, because the price is, you know, moving around more, um, we can look for good levels and good strike levels where we can sell the calls so that we're still getting a good cushion on the overall, uh, you know, performance of the fund. So, you know, that doesn't always work out perfectly. You know, there could be situations where, you know, you're, you're selling a call option and it turns out that that's 
potentially the low on the on on the stock in the short term, and then you know the stock might recover from there. But what we try to do is we try to uh, diversify and uh, use a strategy which you know we use certain different price points when we sell our call options, and this allows us to really take advantage of the volatility overall and not just pick one day where we're going to sell our call option. So you know, there could be cases where, you know, uh, a short-term low might be a bad time to sell a call option because you're selling you know, right. too much of the upside. Um, and so you don't want to be necessarily doing your whole position on, on, on that at that time. You might want to wait for the, the stock to recover and sell the call option then. And what's interesting and what's good about a volatile environment that we're in right now is that you're going to get short-term lows you're going to get short-term highs you're just going to get a lot of volatility and it's right. going to trade within a range so as long as you focus on the the higher the, the higher end of the range uh, you're going to be able to uh you know perform better so does that mean you would go um but does that mean if i understand it properly does that mean you'd go further out on the option chain or... Yeah, so it, like the basic, not necessarily further out. You could do that. You could uh, use a, maybe a slightly higher um, uh, a strike, but more importantly, yeah. uh, you would look at uh, selling the option when you're at the higher end of of a price range. So you know maybe if you're look looking at a short term uh, you know chart and you're looking at uh, an RSI or 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 something where which shows you overbought and oversold in a volatile environment this is where you know stocks tend to trend less and be a little bit more uh you know range bound in a sense but within a bigger band within a within a more volatile right. band so something like a you know a bollinger band where you know you're going to see a widening of those uh, upper and lower bounds and if you can use a cover call strategy that's you know so you know getting getting a good amount of premium but also uh taking advantage of the fact that stocks are going to move around they're going to be more vol volatile than normal um take advantage of that volatility you mentioned uh the short-term low the concept of the short-term low and and also of course conversely the short-term highs um but the short-term low as being something that you'd want to avoid uh getting in on because because then you you might get called you know, you might call away a lot of your upside uh if if the market whipsaws from from that short-term low and we've recently seen uh very recently seen examples of short-term lows in spx and and tlt uh proxy for the long duration u.s treasury um how would you navigate that like how how can that how can you use that to your advantage or how do you navigate i think I don't know if you already covered this, Nick. If you have, then we'll just move on. But how, how do you how do you navigate that situation where the market has uh, potentially more downside? Like, if the market has more downside from from the current lows that we're seeing, um, that's beneficial. I take it. Well, it would work to, probably to, to your capturing extra yield. Yeah, of course, it doesn't work more for the right. overall uh, you know portfolio. But in the short term, that that would actually be be beneficial. Uh, but we we actually right. get that question a lot, Pierre, and and. You know, one of the examples I like to give is is you know what happened in um, in March with the the you know the financial crisis that happened uh, in the U.S. with the regional banks. Um, right. That was that was a very precipitous drop 
We, we, we actually, we spoke then. Yeah. Right. And that was very, <laughs> we, we spoke that. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was, was a phenomenal time. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a very precipitous drop in, in, yeah. in, in the regional banks. And, you know, it dragged down the Canadian banks along with it. Um, but for the Canadian banks, which were less, you know, impacted overall, uh, then they mostly recovered in, in, in the following month. And so how do you navigate that as a, as a cover call writer in that, and that's a little bit difficult because on the one hand, you know, you, you're getting that extra volatility, but on the other hand, uh, you don't want to give away too much upside. And there's a couple of ways that you can manage a situation like that. The, the first thing is you can take advantage of the higher volatility level. So in, in the case of the banks, for example, uh, in, in our fund, HMAX, we generally try to write about 50% of, of the of the fund because we're really focused on generating extra income but in a very volatile environment you don't need to write 50 percent of the fund to get uh, the same amount of premium and so in the case of in march with the regional banks having sold off we actually only needed to write 35 percent of the fund because the volatility right. levels were so much higher so that's one way that you can kind of help navigate that is you can write a little bit less because the premium is already high enough. You don't really need to, to write quite as much in terms of the call premiums. And so that helps navigate any kind of recovery. Um, but the other, yeah. the other way that you can kind of help mitigate, uh, some of the risk is by not writing everything in at one point in time. And so if, right. if you're right. waiting over a few days or a couple of weeks, and you're waiting for better entry points in terms of your cover call strategy and things recover, you're going to get progressively higher and higher strikes on, on the calls that you're writing. Right. So, so, so you have the option of the option you have the, you have the ability to either, uh, pick, uh, um, a strike price appropriately. Correct. Or to pick the expiry of the option. The expiration date of the option appropriately that's another, that's another way of diversifying your exposure absolutely right and then and then and then you also have the option of writing or not writing exactly so so for example like you could you could close out your options if you think you have too much exposure at a short-term low um you could increase your option writing when you have when you're closing in on a short-term high right so you have all these levers that you can pull throughout the process, right? And that, yeah, absolutely. And this is why, um, yeah. you know, an active call strategy, um, can really help, uh, versus using a more passive approach because when you're, when you're tied to right. a, a passive a option strategy, you, you have, you know, and say you're following an index, for example, uh, you have to sell at a certain point because that's what the index tells you. And you really can't, you, even if it might just be common sense, oh, you know, I can buy back, you know, it's a volatile environment. I can buy back these way out of the money calls and it's only going to cost me a nickel in an index passive strategy. You're not really supposed to do that. You're really supposed to follow, follow a, a passive strategy. Uh, so, you know, an active strategy can help you with in situations like that. And furthermore, just like you said, um, you know, for example, if we think things are going to be very, uh, range bound, but only for a few weeks ahead of earnings, for example. And then after earnings, things might move a big way, one way or another, we might just pick the expiry accordingly. Let's pick options that expire before the earnings, wait and see what happens with the earnings. 
and then and then kind of resume the strategy. So there, you know, options are complicated, as you said. Uh, you know, you, you can you can <laughs> use different strikes. You can dip, use different expiries. Uh, you can time things a little bit differently. Uh, so there's uh, certainly a lot of uh, levers that you can pull. I think you're making a really strong case for why you wouldn't want to try to do this yourself. And, and you know, it, it could, because it is complicated. There's so many moving parts and so many choices, so many levers that, that, that can be pulled. Um, it, it does require, uh, you know, full-time devotion to it. I think it's interesting, you know, like in, in, in just doing, you know, even background research, uh, on, on the internet about, you know, buy right strategies, which is the common, one of the common ways these are referred, like at least the passive strategies are referred to as buy right. Um, you know, I, I just want to highlight the fact that, that it's very important to, to, uh, delineate between, you know, actively choosing to write, you know, a third or half of the portfolio versus passively buying something that writes a hundred percent. And, you know, you know, when you go reading on the internet about covered calls and buy right strategies, what you find it invariably is is the opinion that oh, you know, if the market's in an upside bias, um, these these strategies, you know, they 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 rob you of your alpha, right? And and why would you do that? And 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 so you know, people have the I think a lot of advisors, a lot of investors have the impression that you know these buy right these strategies are not long term strategies. These are these are tactical. But that's not true. That's just simply not true. If you if you if you managed the, you know, the percentage of writing and and you know the other levers properly, this is this is actually a strategy that you know you guys have have uh, proven um, has very long term hold merits. Yeah, and you, and you have to think about you know why you're why you're buying a cover call strategy. Uh, most of our supporters, most of the buyers uh, of of our funds. What they're looking for is, you know, tax efficient income, and you know, on a on a portfolio which is gonna which which they like and which they they think is is a, is a good asset, a good asset class. You know, Canadian banks or or Canadian utilities, uh, names that they they think are safe. Uh, or um, as we'll mention later as well, uh, we have a new cover call strategy on Treasury bonds, which also consider, you know, very like a right. very safe asset class. And so, taking an asset class that that you like, that you think that you think is is uh, safe and generating, you know, tax efficient income. And, uh, you know, amongst our biggest supporters are um, investors who have done cover call themselves, are very good at doing cover calls, right. but they're, but it takes a lot, a lot of time, a lot of effort. You have to monitor the expiries. You have to, you know, roll the options. You have to decide when to write, when not to write all the things that we've been talking about today. And that takes a lot of time. And so why not? Get somebody else to do that for you. Absolutely. Um, coming back to the uh, the strategy, is it safe to say that? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but is it safe to say that the lion's share of activity um, in what you do tends to revolve, uh, you know, in today's large and longer duration stocks? I mean, I, I'm saying large stocks because they're the most liquid and they have the most. They have the most uh, option liquidity. I want to get to the question about longer duration bonds or exposure to longer duration bonds as part of a um, you know volatility monetizing strategy such as covered call writing. But let, let's let's just uh, talk initially right now about longer duration stocks like some of the big you know big highly liquid tech names that are dominating the market right now. 
how much of your activity is uh, surrounding that that you know the the large tech long duration names that have enjoyed you know huge upside are you looking are you looking at that as as a sort of you know large opportunity going forward because of the valuations? Yeah, I mean, I, I, absolutely, and and uh, you know we are we are looking at at uh, uh, launching some uh, some funds uh, which will be focused on you know the large cap uh, tech names and uh, using uh, the same cover call strategy that we use for for the banks and the utilities and applying that to the you know the large cap attack large cap U.S. names. Um, the, the, the great thing about, I, I, I can see where, where, you know, going forward, a lot of investors will start to look at insurance against those stocks, you know, protecting their downside. And that's where, you know, you, you could come in and, and write, you know, write part of that portfolio or part of those holdings, yeah. um, you know, to those seekers of and insurance. It, it, Right, but the the premiums the premiums will probably be very, um, you know, juicy. I, and I absolutely, you're <laughs> a good point. You look <laughs> you look at the options on you know some of the you know the the big five you know large cap names uh, you know Microsoft or Apple. These names are names that perform very well still, uh, and, and you know arguably they're they're not even even though they've they've done very very well, um, they're very profitable companies, um, and and they make a lot of money. Uh, and so, but they're, they're also inherently, they're inherently volatile, volatile, right? Absolutely, because they're, you yeah. know, despite that, they're still they're still uh, tech names, they're still technology names, and they still have uh, a large amount of volatility. And so, when you when you look at the amount of extra yield that you can generate on a cover cost strategy in those types of names, what's what's you know what's great about that is that you don't really need to write quite as much in terms of the overall portfolio. You can you can reduce your coverage to you know, 25, 30%, which allows, you know, the investor to still get a significant amount of, uh, of upside. Uh, one of the, you know, one of the, you know, uh, trade-offs, of course, with a cover call strategy is that you are giving away some of the upside by, by selling, you know, the call options. And so on a utility set basket, maybe you're not so concerned about that because you don't think the utilities are really necessarily a growth type asset class. But when you're looking at, you know, um, you know, a tech sector or even a, a sector, um, you know, like energy where you can go on big, uh, on big trends, um, you know, upside matters more. Now the, the upside of course, is that you're getting much more, uh, yield, uh, much higher premiums for the, the call options that you're selling. And therefore you don't really need to write as much and, and that gives, uh, you know, the, that can give the investor confidence that, okay, I'm still getting a, a relatively good yield. And in addition, I'm, I'm getting, um, more of the upside on, on, a, on a, on a basket that can be certainly more volatile, but, you know, further to your point on, on those large cap names, you know, we've seen a big divergence in the performance of, of, you know, large cap tech, such as Apple versus you know, the utility sector, the financial sector, which seems to have really gotten a lot more punished in, in this higher, you know, rate environment. And so perhaps this is the time right. where, you know, a cover call strategy, you know, cover call strategy might work well in that, in that sector, in the sense that, you know, the, the stocks are, are high already there, there, but there is kind of an increase in volatility environment. So if you still like it long-term, 
this is a way to maybe reduce some of the volatility, get a little bit of extra yield. It strikes me as uh, contrarian at, at heart. I mean, I, what I what I like the sound of, like for example, like you know, in the banking sector. I mean, Canadians have been in love with bank stock ownership, you know, forever. So, you know, given given that there's a really strong likelihood that Canadian investors will want to continue to own or have a stake in Canadian banks, the contrarian aspect of having uh, something uh, in your in your uh, stable of fund, you know, on your roster of funds. Uh, in the portfolio seems like a make makes for great diversification. Well, in, Would you agree with that? I mean, does that does that help to sort of allay some of the short term, um, you know, downsides that that can occur at times and volatility that happens? Uh, I mean, especially in the period ahead where, you know, things could get a little bit dicier with with interest rates and with the economy slowing down. And and um, you know maybe maybe more problems coming to the surface overall in the financial sector as as uh, pressure mounts against you know consumers and borrowers. Um, do do you see that as potentially like uh, an opportunity for investors to sort of diversify away some of their uh, risk in favor of the protection that the covered calls offer because you because you're monetizing volatility so if we're heading into a period of you know a dicier period more uncertainty um you know there's a counter trend there right and 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 so you know what i'm getting at is 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 if you know you have an opportunity to exploit the counter trend uh that's something that that you're strongly in a position to do with with yeah, call writing strategy. I, I think that's a very good point. And I think, you know, uh, the, the volatility environment that we're in now uh, is, I think, on average, uh, you know, going to be, you know, a much higher volatility environment than we've seen, you know, in the past 10 years. And so having, you know, further to your point, having some some assets in your in your portfolio that can, you know, take advantage of that volatility, um, I think that that makes a lot of sense. You know the way we the way we position our cover call products for for investors is really look you know investors who are who are looking to monetize the volatility in order to get extra income for their portfolio. As you mentioned, you know uh, Canadian investors love banks. Uh, they uh, a lot of them own uh, the banks. Uh, they're happy you know getting their dividends, and they're not too concerned about you know whether they go up a little bit or go down a little bit you know they're they're happy to own these stocks you know, for the income and uh, you know this is what the cover right. call strategy does you know you are giving a little bit of of upside but you're getting you're monetizing that volatility and you're getting that that dividend income so you know with a lot of uh you know advisors whose clients are you know uh, getting older and we have an aging demographics globally and and the this country as well, they're gonna need to generate more income. And if that can come in a kind of a tax efficient way, because uh, we haven't mentioned this, but you know, the call premiums that we're getting on the the call options that we sell, those are taxed as capital gains. So, you know, for, for an investor, that might be an, uh, advantageous right. uh, in terms of, you know, the income they collect on that. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. You know, and, and dividends. Absolutely. So dividends and, and capital gains, you know, uh, more beneficial than just receiving, uh, you know, regular income. 
and that, but at the end of the day, you know, investors don't necessarily want to rework their entire portfolio and sell all their banks and, 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 you know, do, so this exactly. is a way to kind of, you know, readjust, you know, your portfolio. You can, you can reallocate some of your financials exposure to a product that does cover calls, raise the overall yield on your overall portfolio, um, and, and monetize some of the volatility, as you said. Yeah, it, I mean the the tax loss selling angle on this is is pretty. Yeah, uh, no, that's, no, that's a good point. We're you know, you we're know, looking where, at where you, you can... know, I'm sure there's a, a few a few investors. Well, as yeah. we're coming into the year end here, right? I mean, there's there's a really there's really a nice opportunity, as you said, to to you know diversify laterally from from like either direct ownership or or you know fund ownership of the banking sector um, to uh, what you do. At, at Hamilton in the banking sector, where you know you can capture the tax loss, make the lateral stay yes. stay in the sector, stay in the banking area in the in the banking sector, uh, and continue to own it, um, but now enhance the overall yield that you get. You're not simply just getting the dividends anymore. You're going to get the you're going to get the dividends and the upside from and the the uh, tax efficient income yeah, from the and, and of course you're not going to get the full upside on you know on the banks but if you think things are going to be kind of in a trend or, or in a range and and you're still getting uh you know half the portfolio is still going to be uncovered so you you know you're still going to get some uh you're still going to benefit from uh what yeah what's the, what's the, the big question there is what's the overall trade-off what am i you know what am i what am i getting for that for that decision and and if the answer is more more income the same ownership you know um why yeah it makes a lot of sense especially especially yeah. if you're looking for more income from, exactly. from your existing holdings yeah. now you guys have uh i, I want to talk about the uh, the bond market because you know you guys have recently launched a new strategy a new a new uh etf that um exploits the volatility and the yield in the bond market. And I guess my first sort of big question is, uh, why hasn't anybody yeah, done this before? You're not the first person to ask that question. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> when we launched um, H Bond, which is which is the 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 cover the first cover call bond ETF, a, a lot of the questions that we're getting from from investors was like, this is a great idea. How come nobody's done this before? And I think I think there's a couple reasons, right. uh, you know, for that. Uh, <clears throat> the first reason is just kind of a practical, uh, you know, fact of life, which is, uh, you know, bond ETFs are um, kind of a more recent uh, development uh, in in the ETF world uh, versus equity ETFs. Uh, TLT, which is the ETF that we use to for right. our cover call strategy. Uh, you know, it launched in 2005, I believe, but it really hasn't really, it really started to gather steam, you know, over the last 10 years. And so before that, there wasn't really that much, you know, liquidity and certainly not enough options liquidity to do kind of a cover cost strategy, a cover cost strategy. Now you look at. But, but it is, the, it, it is the most important proxy it, for long-term bonds in the U.S. And, and you Treasury look at market. the assets of TLT yeah. just even in the past two years. They've almost tripled, and it's now one of the largest, you know, uh, bond ETFs. It's it's amazing. It's one of the amazing. biggest bond ETFs, um, you know, in the U.S. and 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 the and the world, I believe. So so we're taking this ETF, and because it's such a big ETF and it's so liquid, it now has very 
liquid options market as well. And we can use that for, for the, for the cover cost strategy. So that, that's the first reason why, uh, you know, it hasn't really started, you know, it really didn't get traction until, until recently. And even in the U S where, you know, uh, the, ETF as you said, like, you know, it started in 2005, but it really gathered steam as rates were falling and, 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 you know, uh, commentators started using TLT almost exclusively as, as a, as a shorthand for long duration bonds. Like, so that you didn't have to always say, oh, what's happening in long duration bonds. People just started saying, yeah, what's no, happening I, with TLT. I, think, I, think, I think you're right. right? And, previous, and <laughs> yeah, I think and everybody knows to, what that means. TLT becoming, you know, one of the, <laughs> uh, you know, the largest, uh, yeah. you know, bond ETFs and, and as you say, a proxy for, for, for the long-term yields. I think people quoted that, that long duration, uh, yields much less. I think people more, more focused on the 10 year and, you know, and maybe the two year, they didn't really, you know, Tilty has yeah. really kind of opened up, uh, you know, that to, to have to all the, um, you know, market observers, uh, you know, it's become kind of a proxy, uh, as you said, for, for, for the, for the long-term yield. And it, you know, one of the, one of the, I think is the other reason why, uh, covered calls have, didn't really become a very compelling opportunity until recently is of course for the last, until recently, bonds just went up and well, well, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and why, why would you do that? Why would you get into, why would you get into, why would you launch a covered call ETF in a rising yeah, in a market for, where rates are going to zero since right? 1980 bonds have just gone up or staying there. And, yeah. and, it, furthermore, of course, since the global financial crisis and until the, the pandemic, um, you know, the Federal Reserve was actually buying long-term bonds and, and, and doing QE. And so not only did that right. help TLT do very well, but it also reduced the volatility. And so in some sense, you know, the, the, the fact that the, the Fed was always in there, uh, you know, bidding bonds and, and increasing their balance sheet, that kind of reduced, uh, you know, volatility levels a little bit. And so both those things, the fact that bonds were just going up and the fact that volatility wasn't super, super attractive, uh, meant that bond cover cost strategy really didn't right. make sense. Uh, and, you know, it was kind of hard to do anyway because, you know, TLT was growing, but the options market was just picking up. And so now we have a kind of a perfect right. environment where, you know, bond yields are back to levels which we haven't seen basically in 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 a generation uh, on the long bond, and and uh, we have uh, we have uh, higher volatility levels. We have liquid options market. We have very liquid ETF, and so this is almost you know uh, you know it, it was almost uh, crying out to be to be uh, to be done as as a cover call stretch. Yeah. So now you're obviously, Nick, you're obviously, you're following the, um, long duration market very closely, uh, as it's, you know, sort of the, uh, the, the crux of what you're doing with, um, with H HBND, H bond. Um, what, uh, what would you say just if you can comment on what's been happening most recently, like where, where is all the pressure coming from? for i mean aside from the obvious which is the fed uh the fed's stance on 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 uh, short-term rates uh you know being higher for longer and as you said you mentioned previously the the yield curve flattening some where is the pressure coming from 
in regards to the TLT, the long, you know, long duration bond yields rising in the last uh, couple of months, the way they have and, and hitting these, you know, these near term or even long term, you know, lows that we're seeing. Like, I mean, the bond market, I mean, long term oh, treasuries and- have just gotten hammered, right? I mean, so, so now, you know, the, the potential upside around the corner as monetary policy starts to recede a little bit or, or, or soften, become more dovish. Um, what is it that, what is it exactly? Because I, I think, you know, that there's a discussion going on around things like term premium, putting pressure on, on that. And I, sorry, and I don't want to steal the lead. I want you to, I want you to answer no, absolutely. the question. <laughs> and, you know, I think there's two yeah. or, I mean, there are several big big factors at play here. And, and when we talk to investors, um, you know, there, there, are, there are a lot of investors who's like, oh, you know, we're back to, you know, uh, where we were in the, in the 70s and 80s, uh, yields are gonna go, you know, you know, even higher. And why would I even wanna, you know, own anything on the long end? And then we have also investors who, who are saying, you know, this is amazing. I mean, I, I never thought I would ever be able to get this kind of yield on the long bonds. And and now I'm able to lock it in. Right. You know, only three years ago, I thought I would never be able to get that kind of income uh, with that kind of safety. Uh, so, you know, and I think that's what makes the market. And I think and I think what's really driving uh, the the long-term yields is, of course, this, this realization that inflation is going to be a little bit more difficult to, uh, you know, pin down. And there, I think there's a few reasons right. for inflation uh, remaining uh, sticky in, in some sense. Uh, you're going to see, you got a demographic wave that's coming where uh, you're going to have a shorter, a smaller uh, working population, a bigger um, aging demographic, an a- aging cohort, which means the demand for labor right. is going to be pretty good, I would think, over the next little while, given that we're, we're going to have a shortage. Yeah, you know, and you hear about it in a lot of different sectors, certainly in, in you know, in nursing and healthcare. You, you hear it in a lot of different areas where people are having a hard time finding people, and that's going to be inflationary on wages. The, the second aspect is you have deglobalization, which... You know, supply chains, people talk about supply chains. It's, it's really a function of, of deglobalization. The fact that we're, we can't be reliant on China to make everything for us anymore. We have to start getting other countries to do the same right. thing. We have to start doing stuff more for ourselves. And that's also inflationary because it costs money. You got to invest in new, in new infrastructure. You got to do a whole bunch of uh, new investments and whatnot. Uh, and the final thing is... Uh, we, we talked about Fed, uh, you know, raising, raising uh, short-term interest rates, but they're also reducing their balance sheet. And I, I, that's, they have a very, very big balance sheet. They, they're not really that close to being done. And that's more supply of, 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 uh, of long bonds, given that, you know, the, the federal government is not really cutting their deficits. They're still going to be issuing uh, more debt. And so, you know, those, all those things are going to keep right. rates high. Now, what's, what's, what's the counter argument? Well, the counter argument, of course, is you look at global 
debt to GDP. You look at uh, how much debt is both government and in, especially in Canada, uh, household debt. It's all also, there's only so much that the economy will be able to handle in terms of, in terms of higher rates over, over a long period of time without causing some significant issues. And so I, I think that you're going to, you have uh, a, a very good case for uh, rates staying pretty high, but also a very good case for rates coming down. And I think that's going to lead to a few things, um, a very volatile environment for, for the long bond. And, and you see it today, actually, maybe I'm, I'm going to, this is a good time to share my screen. I'm not, Hey, I, yeah, please. And, and I'm curious also while we're talking on, while we're on the subject of, of pressure on yields, I mean, China also is a factor here as well, because they're, they're not buying treasuries the way they used to. Yeah, that's a very good point. Right. And, and that's and another the, pressure and point for yields. Uh, yeah. Aren't either. Uh, a lot of the buyers, uh, traditional buyers of right. US treasuries had been uh, the the big saving countries such as you know China and and Japan, and because uh, hedging, especially in Japan, because the 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 hedging the currency risk on those U.S. Treasuries uh, for them is become so expensive because short term rates are so high, they're they're basically being priced out right. of the of the U.S. Treasury market, and so it's actually more attractive for them to buy. Uh, their own uh, Japanese bonds, which are also going up in yield, although not nearly as significantly. Um, but if I... And and would you would you say like would you say on a turnaround like if we do if we do actually at some point next year enter a period where where rates are being cut, for example, like if things get to the point where the Fed has to has to uh, you know take their foot off the brake, um, would those would those historical buyers like china and japan uh when you know I think the so. market suits I think so. them I would think they come back into would they would they yeah. would they would come back I mean, to a market sure. where yields i'm were not 100 sure about china because in course, order to you know there's yeah. a, a geopolitical aspect to china in terms of yeah you know yeah but certainly yeah, exactly. i think in japan there, yeah. if you see short-term rates coming down um and all of a sudden it makes a lot more sense for them to own u.s uh, you know, hedged, um, you know, long bonds. I think they'll. I think that they'll they'll return to the market. Um, and because you know the U.S. long bond yields are are significantly higher than than what you can get on on uh, you know Japanese bonds. Okay. I think this is uh, you know one of my most interesting charts uh, that I've seen recently. And this is a chart. It's all about volatility, which which is you know my wheelhouse. And and it it's really showing the the movements in interest rate volatility, as measured by the the move index, and in red, right and, in red, uh, comparing it to S and P volatility uh, in gray, and that's measured by the VIX, which most most people are are aware of. Um, now, you know, a lot of people look at the VIX. The VIX is a measure of of equity volatility. But there are fewer fewer market market participants that really look at the um, move index, which is a, a a way to measure interest rate volatility. And what's fascinating to me about this chart is how both really move in lockstep, and until kind of recently, uh, and you know in the past kind of year right, and a half, yeah. when the Fed kind of returned to raising interest rates, 
the interest rate volatility has remained extremely high, even though the VIX has come down. And I don't think that that's necessarily sustainable. I think that, you know, there's a case to be made that the VIX is too low relative to interest rate volatility. Uh, because I don't, like, like we were talking earlier, with all, the, with all the things that are happening in the world today, I don't see interest rate volatility going down very much. Not, not, in a, not at a time where the Fed is trying to reduce the, you know, the, the, the size of their balance sheet. I think that's going to create more interest rate volatility, not less. And so I think there's a case to be made that we're going to see a higher VIX levels. And, and I think it really shows, well, the, what this chart really shows is over the past, since, you know, between 2011, 2012, and kind of 2019, volatility was abnormally low, uh, both in, in interest rates and, and in equities. And I think that now we're, you know, and I think that's a real, a really it's a function of financial conditions and how easy or tight they are. I think that financial conditions were incredibly accommodative, um, you know, in, in the, that 10 year period. And now they're, they're not even that, I don't think they're even that, that tight. They're kind of coming back to normal to what we kind of knew previous to the, the global financial crisis. Um, and so that's leading to this higher volatility level. I think interest rate volatility is leading the way here in terms of, of telling the market, be ready for more volatility. Uh, and I think that, you know, other asset classes, and you're seeing it right. in, in the interest rate sensitive asset classes. You're seeing it, like we were talking earlier, you're seeing it in financials, you're seeing it in utilities, you're seeing it in, in any kind of asset that has very long, you know, duration. Uh, in terms of, um, uh, you know, a lot of the growth stocks, maybe not stocks like Apple because they have so much cash and, and, and they're almost like cash cow tech. Uh, but certainly in the more speculative uh, tech names, you've seen way more volatility. Yeah, that's absolutely remarkable. Like what a what a chart. Like it actually it, it's kind of it's kind of ominous, right? It's it's <laughs> the divergence between uh, VIX and move is 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 pretty uh well it is i mean you know, the move index is higher uh today yeah. than it was you know in the beginning of the pandemic which is which is uh uh you know pretty remarkable and but this is all good news uh for uh, <laughs> a cover call strategy on bonds <laughs> for, which is h bond <laughs> yeah 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 so let's talk about that let's talk about h bond uh, about the H bond strategy, which you recently launched this, this, um, so which you recently we, launched, how, how does it work that, you know, we developed this ETF, uh, such that we wanted, uh, a NAS, you know, an ETF for investors that could get extra yield from the fixed income market. And up until now, the, you know, investors really just could reach for extra yield using a cover call strategy. They had to, you know, use equities as an asset class, but more and more people uh, need a higher allocation to fixed income as they get older. And so we thought that fit really well uh, within that context of, um, you know, investors need for more fixed income exposure, but they also need more yield. And so this is where each one uh, makes a lot of sense. And the way we, uh, the product is structured is that we try to own 
a lot of the different durations on the U.S. Treasury curve. So we have an allocation to short term. We have an allocation to medium term. Right. We have the allocation to long term. And then we have um, a big allocation, which is half the fund in, in TLT. And that's what we use uh, to do the covered call strategy. So we, well, half the fund is basically TLT, and we're riding on that, right. on that half of the fund. And then the other half of the fund is a mix of different ETFs with a variety of durations. So I would say that overall, certainly H-Bond has a, has a lower duration um, than, than if you were just own TLT. Because not only are you doing a covered cost strategy, but you're, you also have a mix of, of, of uh, various durations on the underlying funds. But on the other hand, it, it's less risky. It's going to have less volatility uh, uh, in terms of of uh, owning this versus just owning right. TLT. But, but of course, you know, so this is not a fund that you want to own if you think yields are going back to 1%. You know, you're, you're really, if you, if you really think that, then you should really just buy, uh, you know, kind of a TLT. But if you're looking for, you know, a fixed income allocation, right. uh, which can yield tax efficient income and it has a higher yield and Right now, we're kind of targeting a, a 10% plus yield on, on, on that ETF. Um, this can this fits well because, you know, if you think about the fixed income uh, market and what you need to do to get extra yield, well, you have to go to private, you know, maybe uh, some mortgages or, or some, some kind of more credit-based uh, kind of uh, uh, strategies. You really have to, you know, move out of the credit curve. And right. What we wanted to do is like, okay, no, no, we don't want you to take any more credit risk. There's basically zero credit risk with, uh, with the U.S. Treasuries, although some people might argue, you know, that that's not 100 percent true, but it's certainly one of the least least um, uh, risky in terms of credit. And furthermore, uh, you're you're getting some the tax efficient cover call premium. So you you know you're getting your you know you're going to get your four four percent five percent of uh, of income. And, and then you're going to get the, you know, uh, some cover call uh, premium uh, in, uh, uh, in addition to that. And so we, you know, in this environment, actually, because the volatility levels are so high, uh, we don't really need to write, you know, we have the ability to write up to 50%, uh, or we don't have to write uh, the whole amount right now. Right now, right. we only need to write maybe 35% uh, to get very attractive, very attractive yields. So, and given given the um, the year that it's been in the bond market, and the year that it's been for long duration uh, long duration bonds in particular, uh, obviously we you know we know what's happened at the short end, and you know that's sort of the easy money. But but in terms of of um, you know where investors are in the longer duration part of their bond allocations. This again, like what we were talking about earlier, seems like an interesting tax loss selling, tax loss harvesting opportunity where you can make a lateral move from the traditional bonds or traditional bond ETFs into the covered call strategy that we're talking about uh, into H-Bond to um, once again, exploit the long-term uh, yield opportunity in at the longer end of the yield curve, but also uh, more importantly, the covered call yield that you're going to be able to garner from this higher volatility trend that we're in 
possibly for a long time with the uh, the Fed with its you know foot on yeah. and off the and brake I, over I, the I, next look, couple I of think years. That, I think that you know, I mean, uh, a lot of people try to compare the the environment that we're in with with various uh, you know points in history. You know, whether it be uh, you know a post World War II um, you know environment that way, or maybe an environment like we had in the you know in the nineteen seventies. Um, and there are similarities, uh, you know, like we, we see, you know, there were both cases where, you know, there were big conflicts uh, and we're, we're starting to see that uh, today. I think we have kind of a, a need for government spending in a lot of different places. We have a need for government spending in terms of, you know, the, the, the conflicts, uh, the, you know, the, the supply chain issues, the fact that we're deglobalization uh, happening. But, you know, furthermore, we need huge amounts of investments in terms of uh, the climate change, which is kind of another kind of conflict, uh, you know, that that we're facing, uh, and that's affecting kind of everyone. So, so you have those kind of similarities, but then we have big differences. You know, the demographic change is not something that we really faced before, um, and so you know there might be some, you know, there there, there are some similarities, but there's going to be some differences, and I think I don't know what the exact right answer is going to be. Uh, I wish I wish I knew. You don't have to be. You don't have to have the exact right answer. You just have to be slightly. You just, exactly. You know, you just have to be slightly better than fifty percent, and and uh, and even that's a, a reach. You know, you probably don't even have to be that correct. I mean, you know, a lot of investors have been extremely successful. Yeah. You know, just shy of fifty percent. You can, if you can and, get just a little and, bit over fifty percent uh, batting you know, average. You're already doing very so, well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think what's really interesting here is that. You know, at least in my experience, I don't know if I speak for, you know, for how advisors think in general, but, you know, I, I feel like, like in the past, a lot of decisions that were made in portfolios were, were binary, but now there's really this incredible opportunity, I think, because of the sort of the innovation of a lot of, you know, indexing and, um, you know, using proxies and in your case, using TLT as a way to monetize <laughs> volatility, <laughs> as a way to monetize volatility from, you know, that now that it's possible and it's timely from TLT, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a real opportunity for investors to fine tune their portfolios. And it doesn't necessarily mean having to go, you know, to some of the more esoteric or private or, uh, less liquid, uh, forms to do that, you, you know, in, in both cases, like in, in sort of equity representation, you have the opportunity to, to, um, take advantage of the trend in volatility, uh, in equities. But now, uh, I mean, looking at that yield, looking at the, you know, the move to VIX spread, uh, you know, it's exciting. That's actually a pretty exciting look at what's in store for bond market volatility if you know how yeah. to monetize no, it. And I, 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 look, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, I'm very excited <laughs> you know, I, I about think, this. About but I, I like, I think I, that, you know, I think that, it, yeah. you know, you know, it's, I, I imagine, not only yeah. is it, uh, you know, it, it, what, uh, there are only very few cover call uh, uh, ETFs out there. You compare that to, you know, we were the first, but there's a few more now, but you compare that to um, the equity cover class, class, that's become a very, very large asset class with a lot of different uh, ways to approach uh, cover call writing. And I think the, the bond 
is going to develop into a uh, bond company yeah. is it also going to develop into a big asset class i think the the opportunity is too too big to ignore and uh, so we're, i'm very excited i think i think it's going to be uh, a very popular and um, and and very timely uh, opportunity I, I really i really fancy the idea of being able to adjust the trim on a portfolio you know i think i think you know for boating enthusiasts that's maybe a good analogy but but when you can adjust when you can do that kind of fine tuning without having to make you know i think there's an avenue there for for investors that doesn't require a major uh, adjustment of attitude and it's 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 really uh you know it's a lot more nuanced it's very so yeah it's like turning the trim knob on on your engine and and uh, getting more output yeah and i from think the i think same you know, exact for the, for the motor. point it's it's like you know turning a dial a little bit yeah. you know you don't need to turn the dial on or off you can just you, know, you just turn the dial a little bit yeah it's not binary yeah. thing it's not binary it, it, it's not an on off it's not a one and a zero it's not an on off switch it's yeah. it's literally yeah. just you know 1.1 1. 1, 1. 1.2 <laughs> just you know increasing increasing yeah. the, the 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 volume and the bass and the you know you've got so <laughs> many so many great analogies that we can use here to to you know sort of get to the bottom you know of the story but yeah Nick, no where absolutely can, well, where we, can uh, you know, find the best you? way to uh, get in touch with me is through through our website um you know we have we have a lot of resources there at hamiltonetfs.com uh I have videos explaining cover calls. Um, right. We have uh, uh, explainer videos on all our, our ETFs, uh, whether it's financials with HMAX and utilities with UMAX or, or with our brand new bond cover calls, which I'm very excited about. Uh, with H1, we have videos and all those. Um, and uh, yeah, so please come to our website. Nick, thank you so much for your incredibly valuable time. I look forward to speaking with you again.